Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. And you know, I never intended to be doing a series on demonology this close to Halloween, but here we are. And yet, as I think we've all seen up to this juncture, though, when we speak about demons and the spiritual forces of darkness, though, this is not a cheap haunted house attraction of fake ghosts and goblins for our amusements. But rather, what we're seeing is that this is about understanding that there are spiritual forces of darkness, which every single day are waging war on our souls and on our joy in Jesus Christ. And every day we need to be lifting up the full armor of God so that we can withstand the evil day and to conquer their insidious attacks. And you know, what I love about the Gospels is that what we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the ministry of Jesus Christ being recorded and documented by multiple writers and by numerous perspectives. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we find is the story of Jesus, his his life and his ministry on earth being told by, by multiple vantage points and in a number of different views. And for instance, as Matthew begins speaking about the ministry of Jesus on earth, he begins with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus announces to all the world that now there is a much better way that we can be human. Rather than living and dying in this us against them, keeping up with the Joneses' nationalistic way to live, now there is a brand new way to live, and it's all Jesus ever spoke about, which is the kingdom of heaven upon the earth. As John begins speaking about the ministry of Jesus, he begins with with a miracle as Jesus turns water to wine at a wedding in Galilee. And to us, as we read it all these years later, now it becomes a metaphor to us as as Jesus takes all of our religion, he takes our hearts and he takes our pursuits and he turns our water into wine. And it's a very powerful thing. As Luke begins speaking about the ministry of Jesus, he begins with Jesus standing up in a synagogue and as he reads out of a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, he says that the Spirit has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, and I'm going to set free those who have been oppressed. And Jesus announces to everybody inside of that synagogue that that Isaiah's prophecy has now been fulfilled in me. And Jesus reveals that, that he is the one who's going to do all of this. And in Mark's account this morning, in Mark chapter 1, Mark is is very much infatuated with the word immediately. Now Jesus has waited 30 years to begin his ministry on the earth. And at last, now it has started. And, And once it starts, Mark just keeps using the word immediately. Immediately Jesus had been baptized and immediately came up out of the waters. Immediately Jesus calls his apostles and immediately they leave everything to follow him. 
Mark just keeps on using that word at least eight times in Mark chapter 1, and once again he uses it. And it's interesting because once again, Jesus' ministry begins in a gospel account with Jesus standing up and teaching in a synagogue service. And so I read to us this morning Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. Mark 1 and verse 21 says about Jesus, and, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered into the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And then Mark uses that word again, and he says, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they were questioning among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they come out of him. And so as Mark begins telling the story of Jesus' ministry upon the earth, once again we find Jesus standing in a synagogue on a Saturday. And yet, as we notice though, as as these people have gathered together in God's presence in order to, to pray and to hear the words of life, well, we've got an elephant in the room this morning, don't we? Maybe more, more specifically, we've got a demon in the building. Now, Mark says that he is being tormented by this unclean spirit. Luke, referring to the same thing, just flat out calls it a demon. It's wormed its way into his mind, maybe wormed its way into his heart, but however this is happening in his life, anybody who ever knew him before is saying, man, that is not him anymore. There's something else, and it is dominating, and it is controlling his every day. And now the title for this morning's message is The Demons Who Go to Church. And you see, that's because I believe that demons and demonic energy enters through the concourses of many a Christian worship gathering. That of all things, that the spiritual forces of darkness often use religion in order to wreak their havoc and to use religion for their own malicious intent and purposes. That when Satan wants to attack and to atrophy a church, he doesn't always do it from outside opposition. He can just as easily use ministers and elders and preachers, even widow ladies sometimes in churches, in order to achieve what he wants to do and just let us do the work for him. And we need to be watching. We need to be praying. We need to be looking very closely at who is speaking into our lives. And that's because the sacred can so easily fall into the hands of of malevolent forces. Now, as it was mentioned to us a moment ago, as we begin this morning, first of all, we believe in God. 
We have faith in Jesus Christ, and that is wonderful. And yet so do the demons. See, our faith in the God of heaven and earth, our belief that that Jesus Christ is the risen Messiah and the Son of God, that is what, really that is how we overcome the world. It is the evidence of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. And yet there is a lot more to that word faith than initially meets the eye though, isn't there? James in James chapter 2 says, What good is it, my brothers, if somebody says that he has faith, but he has no works to accompany them? Can such a faith as this save such a person as this? James goes on and he says, So also faith, if it is all by itself, and it has no works, that, that is a faith that is dead. It's got no, no life or spiritual pulse to it. And you see, just saying that we have repented, that is not enough, is it? Or reciting a prayer and and inviting Jesus into our hearts, that is not enough. Saying that we are the church of Christ on our sign, that is not enough. James goes on and he says, you believe that God is one. Congratulations. That's good. Keep doing that. But you also need to be aware of the reality that even the demons believe. Even the demons have faith in the risen Jesus Christ. And they shudder. Now let's notice in our text this morning that in this instance, in Mark chapter 1, we see that this demonic presence is speaking. This demon has dialogue. Where it is calling Jesus out by name and it's saying, I know exactly who you are. Jesus, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God and I'm not even going to deny it. And I find it so interesting that later on in the Gospel books, many people abandon Jesus in John chapter 6 and Jesus asks his followers, you're not also going to abandon me, are you? And that's when the Apostle Peter looks at Jesus in the eye and says, we believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. And yet, let's notice though that long before he makes this declaration, that we have a demon from hell who is saying this this exact same announcement upon Jesus. I believe and I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And yet, let's allow this good news to strengthen our hearts this morning, though. I mean, did you notice the anxiety in those demons' words as it speaks to Jesus? I mean, we saw in our last message a couple of weeks ago how what demons are trying to accomplish is inflicting fear and to paralyze us with anxiety wherever they happen to lurk. And yet notice, though, as as this demon stands before Jesus, though, notice how the demon is the one who is being haunted and paralyzed in fear. You can almost hear this voice trembling as it says, What have you to do with us, Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And if Jesus could have responded to that in word, he would have said, Well, of course I have. 
Because in addition to Jesus coming to this world in order to seek and to save sinners who were lost, John writes in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 that for this reason the Son of God appeared in order that he would destroy the works of the devil. And so you see, this is why the demons tremble, because they know who Jesus is. They know that he is far greater than they are, and that any time that they stand face to face with Jesus, they just brought a, a water pistol to a nuclear war. Amen. That with every single person who Jesus rescues from his insidious clutches, every person who arises from the waters of baptism with that happy splashing, let's all of hell know as the gates rattle that you just lost again. Amen. And that Satan and his angels and their demons, their time is short. And yet, James says, nevertheless, the demons believe just as we can believe. And I would venture to say that the demons have a tendency of believing in God more than we do at times, perhaps. James says that when our faith is nothing but just words and, and limb lyrics and, and hymn lyrics on Sunday morning, and, and it's counter to what we're doing out there on Friday nights, James is letting us all know that that is nothing but a demonic faith. But when our actions lavishly proclaim the love of Jesus Christ, well, that is what separates our faith from a demonic faith. And yet, secondly, though, we can quote Scripture. And that's a beautiful thing. I believe we should be learning to quote Scripture and to hide it in our hearts. And yet the demons can also quote Scripture. Satan can also quote God's Word. Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, we read it often. We speak about it frequently. Jesus spends a month and a half in the same wilderness at the that his ancestors once roamed through, and he is with Satan being in a state of temptation. But Jesus, lifting up the full armor of God against Satan, though, is able to withstand the evil day. He's able to extinguish all of his flaming darts, and, and the way that he does that specifically is in the words, it is written. With every temptation that comes his way, he lifts and he uses the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and he says it is written and he does what it says. And yet I fear that oftentimes what goes entirely overlooked and unnoticed by us is not so much what Jesus is saying, but what Satan is saying. Because embedded in one of his temptations that he presents and he formulates before Jesus is these words. He says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself off of the pinnacle of the temple, and then the next words out of his mouth, for it is written. And I mean, then Satan just starts quoting Psalm 91 word for word for word. You see, what this means is that the devil knows the Bible too. He can quote Scripture a whole lot better than you and I can. But what is even more alarming about this, though, is that this shows us and this proves to us that it's possible for us to misuse the Word of God. I mean, we can use Scripture with sinister motives. I mean, we just look in the Gospels, for instance, 
Because other than Jesus Christ, nobody knew the scriptures better than the scribes and the Pharisees. I mean, we're talking about men who could quote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I mean, word for word for word. Since they were teenagers, they could quote the first five books of the Bible. And yet, strangely, out of everybody in Israel, nobody used God's words to to attack and to excoriate more people than the people who could quote five books of the Bible. And I believe that we have all been witness to the hellish things that, that we are capable of doing in the name of book, chapter, and verse. In the name of thus saith the Lord. And you see, this is the fantasy come true for every demon in hell. Where rather than lifting up the full armor of God in order to wage war against the spiritual forces of darkness, we lift up the full armor of God and declare civil war on our own brothers and sisters in the church. We use the sword of the Spirit as a weapon of shame against other people. We discard the breastplate of God's righteousness and we lift up the breastplate of self-righteousness in order to make others feel as if they are inferior to our spirituality. And you see, this is what is possible, so easily possible, when the sacred grandeur of God's word falls into satanic hands, into demonic ulterior motives. And yet what we see lastly this morning is that we can even preach Jesus Christ as Lord and be no different than the demons. Luke chapter 4 and verse 41, what Luke reveals is that the demons also came out of many people saying to Jesus, you are the Son of God. And yet Jesus rebuked these unclean spirits and and he would not allow them to proclaim that he was the Messiah. Because they knew that he was the Christ. We might say, I mean, why would Jesus do that? I mean, doesn't he want the world to know that that he's the Holy One of God? We would imagine that he would want them to proclaim it even louder. So that everybody in the back could hear. In the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is on a missionary journey. and, And he encounters a fortune teller slave girl who has what is referred to as a spirit of um, divination. She is an idol worshiper, and there is some kind of a demonic attachment to her. And she is following Paul and his travelers around, saying, and incessantly shrieking out to everybody, these men are servants of the Most High God. They are proclaimers of the way of salvation. And yet it says that the Apostle Paul is is greatly annoyed by this and he shuts her up and he says, stop doing that. And he drives her spirit out that is doing this. And again, we would think, I mean, why would he want to do that? I mean, it it is proclaiming what he is trying to proclaim. In our text in Mark chapter 1, we... We all see how this demon is proclaiming within earshot of everybody there that, I mean, Jesus is the Holy One of God. I mean, this is the one who we have been waiting for all of these years. But once again, Jesus says, shut up. He silences it. And he will not allow it to continue to proclaim that he is the Son of God. And again, why would he do that? 
And I believe a major reason for this is because for all of the people who still don't know who Jesus is, many people very well could have responded to this, well, if, if um, a demon is saying Jesus is Lord, and how trustworthy could that be? You know, I'm just going to do the opposite of what that demon is saying and just, just ignore it if it's saying Jesus Christ is the Lord. And I believe that even more so how demons want to inflict fear in us and to cause us all to live in anxiety and in trepidation. I believe that even more so what, what demons want to accomplish is to see a defamation of the character of Jesus Christ in this world. They want to defame the character and the name and the reputation of Jesus. And now as the violence of January 6th erupted in Washington, by far the saddest scene of all as I watch it unfold, where it was being broadcasted on every single network and newspaper in the entire world, I imagine. We're caught up in the fray of a gallows and murderous chance and human excrement being smeared on the Capitol wall. You would see all of these signs interspersed in the crowd saying Christian messages. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, ordinarily, that is good news of great joy, but, but what is really a problem with this? As the cameras went into the Capitol building, it showed rioters who were praying to Jesus and, and thanking him for the inspiration of, of what was happening on that day. And the world was just sitting back watching this. And regardless of, of any politics that may or may not have been behind that, I, I don't care about that. What I do care about is just how utterly demonic and blasphemous that was. Amen. As I watched all of that unfold, I began to weep. And I wept because I knew that all of hell was rejoicing. Because being communicated loud and clear to the unbelieving world was, hey everybody, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus is all about. And I'll never forget, as it happened, I read in a comment section that this, this is why I chose to become an atheist. And I just find it so interesting how the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees evidently had no effect whatsoever on this man in the synagogue service who has a demon. It seems to have been very comfortable and undisturbed and at home with, with all of the rage and hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees' instruction. And yet, let's notice, though, that the second Jesus burst onto the scene, and he's got this brand new way to be human. And he's speaking about the kingdom of heaven, one that even humanizes and forgives and loves our worst enemies. A kingdom that demands that, that we stop living with all of this rage and venom in our hearts and, and we adapt to his gentleness and mercy and love. That demands that we stop living for the empires of this world, but rather pray in our heart, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, and me upon the earth as in you in the heavens. 
As soon as Jesus begins doing all of this, notice how much demonic activity that there is. I mean, it just seems like everywhere demons are just squirming and rattling maybe one out of every nine people in the gospel books. I mean, we just see demonic energy amped up more than it ever was. And I mean, as it says that that Jesus drove his demon out, notice what what specifically everybody's saying. They say, what in the world is this? This is a new teaching, not like the scribes and Pharisees, but this is a new teaching that has authority. Now, when it says that Jesus spoke with with authority, I mean, it, it does not mean that he was just a more polished orator than the scribes and the Pharisees. But what this means is that when when scribes would, would also teach other people, there was only one interpretation that they were allowed to present as teachers, and that was all of um, a traditions that they've always taught over the centuries. You were never allowed to interject your own original thoughts that nobody else had ever heard. And yet as Jesus comes, he says that you have heard it said in our own custom and tradition, this and that, but I say to you, I mean, you are not supposed to do that as a teacher. And you know, the more that I have come to, to know the real Jesus, I mean, the, you know, the Jesus of the Gospels, and the more that I have taught his truth out of the Gospels, really, the more unpopular I have become. I was on Facebook for a number of years, and at one time, I had 1,400 followers, And I began speaking as Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, and all of a sudden, I had like 275 friends. (laughs) Wow. And you know, early on, as I came to a deeper understanding of, of who Jesus really is, there was a temptation in the back of my mind that, I mean, you could teach none of this stuff. You can just keep on teaching the same old shallow sermons everybody's heard 9,006 times that never challenge and never lead us to spiritual transformation. I mean, you can just keep all of the paychecks coming and everybody will, will just love you and carry you around on a chair in the lobby. Nobody's going to be upset with you if you just keep doing what you're doing. Or you could teach Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount and load that U-Haul next week, and have people waiting for you in the parking lots. See, what I've discovered is that proclaiming the raw, unfiltered truth of the Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount, that comes with a price. And you know, as we close this morning, a lot of people have asked me if I've ever encountered a demon before. My response is always, I've encountered countless demons. Well, how have you encountered demons, David? Have you encountered them in jail outreaches? In Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and halfway houses? Well, some, I suppose. But really, the grand majority of demonic presence and activity that I have encountered has come in Sunday morning Bible classes, men's business meetings, Sometimes even, yes, a church worship service in a Church of Christ building. 
in our actions and in our conduct, in our desires, either we will believe, use the words of God and proclaim his name like demons, or we will believe, use the words of God and proclaim his name like Jesus. I think it's safe to say that we all struggle with our own individual demons. Now, it may not be causing us to ever foam at the mouth or slamming us down on the ground as we speak Latin in deep, sinister voices. But within each one of us, I believe, is at least some semblance of darkness and demonic presence that we are entertaining in our hearts. This kind of energy is preventing us from becoming who the Holy Spirit can transform us into becoming. And yet in Mark chapter 1, as we offer his gospel invitation, there is good news for us. And that is even though there is a demon in the building in Mark chapter 1, there is also a Jesus in the building. Just like there is a, a Jesus standing next to each one of us in the pews right now. And right now, at this very moment in time, Jesus is also sitting next to the guy at the bar who's staring into a shot glass. He's sitting next to the woman in prison who is in there on drug and prostitution charges, who's burned all of her bridges, and who feels like she doesn't have a friend in the world anymore. Jesus is everywhere this morning. And when we draw near to his holy peaceful presence, when we take on his influence in a world of hostility, we know that the devil flees and that the demons shudder and are silenced in fear. And once again, Jesus drives this demon out in Mark chapter 1 and we see yet again how greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. As we close this morning's message, let us go to God in prayer. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And yet we have been made aware of the fact that we can say this either angelically or demonically. And Father, we want to proclaim this angelically. Because we know that steeples do not make Satan flee. We understand that your name on a sign in front of a religious palace does not verify if you are written on our hearts. But rather it is your spirit that does. And it is your love that makes the demons flee.